Hi and welcome to Stop Sweeping It Under The Carpet Uncut. Okay, let's go. Let's go straight in and talk to my special guest that I have with me today. Okay, hi guys. How you doing? I hope that you're all well. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Jacqueline Francis and I have a special guest with me today and then Seema. Um, I'm so excited, do you know what I mean? I really am excited to talk to you today. Um, so Seema, can you just give our viewers an idea of what you do? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so professionally I'm a homeless caseworker for a local authority. Um, I've been working for local authority in local authority settings for the last 15 years. And in that 15 years, I've come across hundreds of domestic violence, domestic abuse related cases, people who have become homeless as a result of domestic abuse. Um, and through the years, I've kind of become more and more involved in safeguarding. I sit on safeguarding panels and I sit on the panels where um, abusers, um, perpetrators of, of violence are due to be released from prison. Um, more recently, in the last five years, and I think this is um, testament to how much more um, groups there are on social media, such as Facebook and, and various other platforms as well. I'm seeing an increase in the number of women from Asian communities coming forward and talking about domestic violence. Yeah. And what I realise is that it's not the same. Um, the domestic abuse sort of cases that I see coming through on a day to day basis um, through a local authority. Um, as a homeless caseworker is very different to the type of domestic abuse that we're actually seeing um, with Asian families. Right, right, okay. So let's just start there then because um, we're saying that it's totally different because I talk about domestic abuse um, and I've written about it. Um, I talk about it all day long because I think it's one needs to educate, you know, women well, everybody, not just women, need to be educated about domestic abuse. But I am aware that um, in different cultures, um, I mean, one would say abuse is abuse, but what's the difference between the two? Yeah, I mean, there is a massive difference. Um, there is... Um, you know, you're always going to have um, a different spread of, say, for example, social status and, and wealth levels between all communities, whether whether you're Asian or um, or otherwise. Um, and and the and the the type of domestic abuse and the type of help that is needed on each sort of strata uh, at that level is going to vary as well. Mm. Uh, culturally, what what sets apart the abuse within Asian communities are the traditions. Um, the culture, the spirituality that's attached to it, um, the financial aspect of it as well. Um, there are a lot of um, sort of people within the Asian community are entrepreneurs, business owners of themselves. So it opens up to a lot of sort of systemic and financial abuse as well. Um, but what I'd like to do is um, sort of if we look at um, sort of, you know, each aspect individually, because it's you know, it's quite multifaceted, yeah. and I think it would be get, it, it would be great to kind of educate our audience on um, each different type of abuse um, yeah. in terms of, of what, how it differs within the Asian community. Yeah. So, first and foremost, you've got the cultural aspect where um, Asian communities have traditionally always been very patriarchal. 
um, and you know that there are very set roles. And while that is changing, there is still room for a lot of lot more change. Um, there are sort of very set um, you know rules for men and women, and you know, um, for example, the permissions for a teenage girl to to, to go out and socialise and, and and drink and and have her own freedoms can be limited in comparison to her um, her male siblings, for example. Um, so there are a lot of double standards there. There's a lot of gender inequality in terms of opportunities for education and opportunities for a woman to want to have um, career choices as well. Um, the patriarchal beliefs really encourage that a woman is there as a homemaker and, and there to kind of nurture the family per se. And those views are encouraged by the women themselves in our culture. Mm. And that helps. You know, we can't blame men for for, um, for for this level of thinking. It is a female-driven um, issue. Um, so, you know, it it needs to be the elder female generation that actually say, well, you know what, we may may have done it in our generation, but let's not make it acceptable for yours. Mm. Um, because it will continue through the generations if nothing changes, isn't it? <laughs> it's learned behaviour, isn't it? And it's what oh. we're really, you know, it's, it's, it's then what we're told in our community of, oh, but, you know, that's just how things are, so you just have to put up with that. And and my response to that is, no, you don't. Oh. Um, either change, um, you know, it, you know um, in certainly in my household and in many that I know, we have a very, um, there isn't, it's not patriarchy, it's not matriarchy, it's equality. Mm. So that. You know, complete equal opportunities for, for both and yes we have passing arguments between if my husband's going to wash up then he expects me to fix the car but yeah there are sort of you know very very clear divisions um, and, and while that is changing it still needs a lot more change mm. uh, the other side of it is um, sort of the spiritual side where you know, you're almost, how can I put it, threatened by um, religious beliefs and sort of made to believe that if you're going through an abusive relationship, it might be something to do with your karma. It could be something to do that, oh, but, you know, your life, you might have done something that you you deserve to be treated this way. And again, I you know, I call that belief out that, you know, nobody oh. deserves so who, Sorry. Who, who are the people that are saying that, that? Who are the people that are saying that it might be karma or... It's again. It generally tends to be the much elder generation who believe in karma and reincarnation, and believe in it in a kind of slightly manipulated way. You know, if um, karma isn't about um, you know you've done something wrong, so you're going to suffer abuse in this life, um, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be perceived that way. Um, it pains me to see that in Hinduism, certainly, that karma is perceived that way, and it is and and abusive um, sympathizer or um, an abuser themselves will actually use those principles of karma and religion to um, control an individual mm. in a relationship. Mm. So that's a part of it. Um, I have a very good friend of mine who recently sort of disclosed to me that um, she was regularly taken to a priest by her mother-in-law um, because of the issues between her and her husband um and you know it was um she was co consistently advised that it's, it's something to do with your stars it's something to do with your horoscope oh, it's something to do with your previous um incarnation you might have done something wrong in your previous life mm. it, that level of manipulation and belief of those of um those spiritual beliefs that um are being abused to control and and have power over a mm. of abuse
Mm. Um, and that is a belief that I want to really firmly stamp out and say that, you know, not just within Hinduism, but I don't think there is a single Asian religion, whether it's, whether it's Islam, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, Sikhism, there is no religion that condones abuse and violence against women or against another. Mm. So when people are using those beliefs to manipulate and, and um, abuse another and have power and control over another, then we really need to make a stance against that and say no to that. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and what are the other aspects you were talking about as well? What are the other? So, again, the whole sort of, you know, gender side of thing, um, this is still a problem in this country and also in India as well, where when a woman is pregnant um, or she has a girl child, um, there is still a stigma attached to having a girl in the family. Um, okay. To the point where the um, in India the population is dis- is um, is disproportionate. There are more men in the country than there are women. Um, because what's behind it then? What, why is there? Why are there uh, the boys and the girls? So it's believed that um, the men are considered as being the heir to the family, um, and they they are the the individuals who will bring the family name forward. Um, and you know the, the women don't get that daughters don't get that level of recognition mm-hmm. um, it, um, perceived that um, a, a, a daughter is um, quite kind of I know what it I can I, I can think of it in my own language uh, but to translate it into English it's almost like saying you know you're only my property for a short period of time and then I have to give you away to another family and that is you know you're just you're just a gift in our family for a short period of time and then we're going to hand you over and so that um, whole belief system from the start makes you feel like you're somebody else's property and you're not your own person from the outset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the kind of self-worth of a woman from her birth is almost um, sort of antagonized from the start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and again, you know, if you're born to believe that you were never meant to be in this family and that you are just going to, to nurture somebody else's home, um, if that is the belief that you've been brought up with, then that is what you're going to believe is your sole duty and your sole purpose in life when actually there's so much more to it. Yeah, so what impact does that have on a, on a young girl, especially if she's born here, um, you know, because you're living sort of like both life, you know, in your home, your, you know, the traditional culture and, you know, then the Western. How does the girl explain <laughs> Interestingly enough, okay, um, during lockdown, I discovered TikTok. Oh. And, <laughs> what, and, and what I found is that there are young girls, my son's eight, uh, 19 years old, and I've seen girls probably, you know, his, his age on TikTok, and they're uploading videos about, you know, things that suck about being um, an Asian person. And, you know, they're all still saying the same thing. They're all still talking about um, gender inequality. They're all still talking about, oh, it's not fair. We don't get to go out as much as our brothers. We don't, we, we're expected to learn how to cook and clean and, and domestically run a home. Um, mm-hmm. And yet education is, has become a, an important thing for women, which is a great step in the right direction. But the freedoms and, you know, that sort of need to discover yourself and really kind of go out and be your own person 
um, there is still a stigma attached to that. Mm. Um, the effect that it has on um, a person's self-confidence and their um, sort of, you know, their general character building as a whole is immense because you're always going to be made to feel like, you know, you just don't deserve as much as your as your sibling and, and, yeah. and your male siblings or your your brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it, the impact is huge. Living in a dual sort of society where you've got your Asian traditions on one hand and still wanting to live a liberated Western life and getting the balance between the two. That must be the that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it is. So during this lockdown period, and I know that, um, you know, calls to the you know, domestic abuse helpline has risen twofold, threefold or whatever. What are you seeing then? What are, what are the changes that are you seeing? Is there anything new? Is there a higher risk um, also within the Asian community? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think um, I have started working with members of, um, sort of the Asian community, creating more awareness. Um, and actually, um, the refreshing change that has come through is that more and more members of the Asian community are now standing up and listening to this problem of domestic abuse. So, and whether, again, I speak for all communities when I say this, it's not specifically a Hindu community thing. Um, it is, um, you know, all communities are coming forward and saying, well, this problem is is getting worse. And, mm. you know, what we do within our own communities to make this better? How mm. can we help? from our own communities come forward and access support so I think that has been a real kind of groundbreaking change that I've seen Mm. um on that so that's a positive thing and I wanted to start on that positive note in terms of what we have seen um in terms of positives from lockdown the negatives yes you know even within the Asian community we have seen a massive rise in um domestic violence and domestic abuse you know cases coming forward um, I'm part of a social media group which consists of 60,000 Asian women okay. um, and we launched our own domestic awareness campaign on this um, on this group where mm-hmm. we basically, as an example, this isn't actually the code word that we use, but as an example, it was, you know, um, uh, my favourite fruit, hashtag my favourite fruit, for example. Okay. okay. So you can turn around and say, my favourite fruit is an apple, which means, um, you know what, I'm going through a bit of a hard time in my relationship and I just need someone to talk to. Um, My favourite fruit is an orange, could mean amber, which is basically saying, you know what, I'm really suffering and um, I need help. And my my favourite fruit is strawberry, which is red. represent that I'm in real some sort of danger and I need to reach out to professional services please help me right right just through the campaign alone the amount of people that came forward and started saying that because I'm now at home with my abusive partner I am suffering domestic abuse to a point where I can no longer take it Mm. we've seen leave their partners um, during um, lockdown we've seen um, women go into refuges we've seen them seek legal advice um, and we've seen them, um, unfortunately, stay in those situations, but try to cope with it differently, just cope with it better if they can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there has been a massive influx of people coming forward. But I also think that because we drove that awareness into this um, social media platform, mm. um, it had a good impact. And, and for me, you know, we talk about how many people report domestic abuse mm. and we know 
those figures are dis are sort of disproportionate right. to reality. Yeah. So when I see an increase in the number of people coming forward and reporting domestic abuse, it makes me happier because I mm -hmm. feel that that's the first step to them acknowledging that they are victims of abuse. Yeah. But yeah. it's also the uh, the first step of them getting help. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree when you say um, that there is more awareness and, you know, um, the Asian community are the, now talking about it because I went to an event, I think it was last year, sometime last year, um, to do with um, I didn't even read it properly, I just saw that it was domestic abuse. So anyway, I went along and it was an Asian community, I was the only black person there, but, you know, I didn't even know that. I was like was invited to come up on stage but the, what I found was empowering was that you had these um elderly not, not even elderly um, okay maybe 50s 60s because I wouldn't consider myself elderly you know and <laughs> they were sharing their their story and they were, yeah. they were nervous they were very very nervous you can see some people were really nervous and that was the first time that they were sharing their story but they knew they felt that they had to to share it and there were um men in the in the um audience as well mm. set it up and you know it was it was good for them to come up and say well look it's, it's not as an elder person you know they're saying that it was as well so yeah i agree with you that yes there are it's great that more people in in the asian community are talking about it because it needs yeah. to be about. it does it does um I think something else that has come out interestingly, and it's um, something that I want to share about my own family, really, mm. um, is the responsibility of men in the role of the of domestic violence awareness. Now, I, I live with two boys, my husband and my son, um, and my son's 19 at university. He's at that age where he's sort of considering relationships of his own um, mm. and bring himself and his building his own character and everything. And because he knows about some of the horrific cases I've dealt with, he's often heard me sort of on the phone talking to people outside of working hours about their stories and, and, and asking for help. Mm. Um, and, you know, their understanding of domestic abuse is amazing because of the work um, that, that they've seen their sort of mum and in my husband's case, his wife doing. Mm. Mm. But now they're actually willing and confident to talk about the subject as well. Mm. And I think that that is really important. Now, you know, we know that domestic violence happens to men and it happens to women too. Yeah, of course. But yeah. the figures are clear that the um, the violence, violence against women and girls is disproportionately higher than it is against men. Absolutely. But in, in both, um, in, in, in the context of both, it's so, so important that men talk about domestic abuse amongst themselves as a group. Um, you know, with their families um, and the same level of discussions that we have as a family. I want to see other other families have those discussions. Mm. Um, domestic violence is not just a female issue, it's a man's issue as well. Absolutely. But before you go on, I wanted to know, how do you um, educate? Because I, mean, I know that I've gone to a couple of groups where there are young people and a lot of young people think that domestic abuse is just physical. And, you know, for me to say, well, look, no, no, it isn't. And tell them, you know, explain to them that you know, there are other types of abuse. How, um, what is your um, understanding of your experience of this with Asian? So, 
For me, I think that the easiest way to educate any individual of, of any level is to give them real life experiences. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, of course, I maintain confidentiality with um, with all of my cases. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what I will say is, um, you know, I'm not afraid to sort of talk about different examples of abuse. Um, you know, like if I've um, spoken to a case and they have they've specifically told me about systemic or financial abuse, mm. then we'll talk about that in the context of, say, for example, access to money or you know, access to um, being able to work, mm. uh, access to services such as medica- medical services mm. um, or even sort of, you know, counselling and, and psychotherapy services. And when a person is being held back from accessing those basic services that, that they're entitled to seek, mm. um, there was a woman today who said to me that you know if her if her if something happened to her children, um, she wouldn't even have enough money to get a cab and take them to hospital. Right, right. So you know, and and there is a huge difference between sort of you know a husband and, and wife or or a couple um, planning things financially and, and agreeing on terms, um, and and one individual having power and control over another through finances and. Mm-hmm giving the other person to basically live on peanuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the best way, and, and another example is gaslighting, where you make another person believe that, you know, that, that everything's in their own mind and they begin to question their own sanity and their own judgment. Yeah, can, um, I, can I just interrupt there? Because I, I, I actually watched you um, on an interview, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he wrote a book. Yes. Uh, and I think you mentioned gaslighting and... Because, you know, I mean, I've written my book and I've put a, you know, a, practically a chapter in my book about gaslighting because it's not true. Yeah. And people yeah. don't know what it is, do you know what I mean? You know, so, you know, as much as we talk about, um, you know, the different types of abuse, gaslighting is one that is not talked yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at gaslighting in the um, context of the Asian community, Part of that because it falls under that spiritual and cultural abuse where you're being made to believe that there must be something wrong with you and that is why you're suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you begin to believe that. You know, there's many women that I've spoken to and they're, 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 believe, they're kind of conditioned to believe that because they are a woman or because they might have done something wrong in their previous life or, you know, this is karma, you might have, you, you, you've somehow or another done something to bring this on yourself. No. Um, that too is a form of gaslighting. No. And, you know, the only way that you're ever going to be able to shine light and education, educate people on that, is to call it out when you see it, as and when you see it. And even if you don't see it, um, I think the classic example I like I like to use is my husband and my son and I are often, if we're watching an Asian TV channel and we're watching a movie, and I'll laugh at the TV screen and say, that's gaslighting. Oh, oh my God, that's just emotional and psychological abuse. And, yeah. you know... And, and, you know, like, Bollywood has a lot to answer for when it comes to domestic abuse because actually a lot of movies display abusive behaviours within relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to go back, actually, because this is one that really gets under my skin. All the pressure seems to be on women. And as I said, men, you know, as you say, they're normally the perpetrators. How can we educate men to say, well, look, you know what you're doing is not right. You know you need. How how do we get a group of men 
to, to talk about this. Yeah, and I think this is the this is where um, you know, like my husband and my son have, have um, are really wanting to kind of play an active role in that um, because they're not afraid to talk about domestic abuse in a public setting. Um, you know, if if my husband is out with his friends, you know, he in, and the subject comes up, he will quite rightly so. And we need to, you know, as men, we need to if if there is a misogynistic joke going around a group of friends talking about their wife being under their thumb and you know derogatory comments about how they look or whatever their you know intimate life might be or whatever wow. you know need to be calling these individuals out and saying hang on a second mate don't you think that's actually quite narcissistic mm. don't you think that partner deserves to be treated better by you, mm. you know, this is not a trace of healthy relationship so if the same way as women we would do that yeah yeah then, then why is it so difficult for men to do the same but would it be difficult because um, as you said culturally you know, it goes, well, I mean, in any um, society, it goes way back anyway, but because culturally the Asian community's um, values and morals are so strong, how easy or difficult will that be? Um, I think it's starting to break down those barriers now. Um, mm. and, and, you know, we, we have wonderful thing called social media now, which is great for sort of, um, you know, spreading those messages. Mm. And... I do feel that there is um, change coming. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that um, certainly all of the men in my life, from you know my my maternal family to my matrimonial family, um, mm. are very very supportive of um, the domestic awareness work that I do. Um, mm. And I think that the only way that we can penetrate that um, those those patriarchal thought systems is to keep on talking about it within our communities, is mm. to keep on um, sort of um, talking about them on public platforms. Yeah. We need to make discussions around, and I'm sure I've said this before, it's one something that I say on every single one of my interviews, mm. we need to talk about domestic abuse as simply and as easily as we do about fashion, about cooking, about yes. news, about what's going, what's going on in the world. Yeah. We are very, very good about talking about things that don't, um, that don't necessarily always affect us, but we pay an interest to it. But mm. when you've got one in four women suffering with domestic abuse, or you've got one in four men suffering with domestic abuse, mm. you do if you go out to a family get together and there's thirty of you there, how many people are likely to be impacted by yeah. domestic abuse? Yeah, but it is a um, a public health um, problem. To, to be perfectly honest, um, okay. I wanted to ask, what is the difference? Or is there a difference? Um, in abuse for those who are in arranged marriages. Um, well, we know forced marriage is abuse because it's, it's that person's will. Yeah. So, um, in my experience, um, I had an arranged marriage myself. And, um, you know, I know people who have had um, not arranged marriages. They've chosen their own partners. And I think that the abuse happens um, irrespective of the way that the marriage was arranged. Um, what I do think is that um, in both situations, it's still very, very difficult um, for um, a victim of abuse to come forward. And the reasons for that is if it's an arranged marriage, there could potentially be two families um, that, um, you know, where the relationships could be soured between two whole families and not just a couple. 
Um, particularly in certain Asian cultures where it's normal for um, people to marry their first cousins or their second cousins or marry within their sort of communities or their cultures. Mm. The other side of it is if you choose your own partner and you end up in a domestic uh, domestic abuse um, situation, then it becomes an embarrassment. Mm. Um, and there is this general cultural embarrassment of, um, of a person being divorced or coming out of an abusive relationship, the stigma attached to that. So... I think it's fair to say that there isn't much difference in terms of whether or not a person has an arranged or um, marriage or otherwise. Mm. Uh, but we do know that um, obviously honour-based violence and forced marriages are a form of abuse in, the, in their own right. Mm. And they're considered as, um, as domestic abuse in a different way as well. Yeah, I think it's sad, um, and I'm sure many people would agree with me, when you see... Um, members of the family, the mother, the father, you know, I've watched videos, I've heard people talking about it, where, you know, this young girl, you know, doesn't want to have an arranged marriage, she's met this westernised, you know, guy, you know, mm -hmm. the family will go out to and kill her. Yeah, yeah. And it's a matter of fact. Yeah. I want to talk about that because there was a recent incident where, um, a photograph of a young Asian girl in very in her very early twenties was shared on social media, mm -hmm. um, and it was basically like a missing persons type of profile. You know, this was her her uh, the photograph of this young girl um, was actually somebody in in her graduation outfit. She had a graduation robe and hat on, so you could tell that she was you know fresh out of university, very young. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, you know, the, the family had reported her missing. And then this photo was circulated both on this social media group that I'm on and every other person that I knew was circulating a photo of this. Wow. Now, the scary thing about what was being circulated was not the fact that this missing persons report was filed. There was no mention of saying, if you see this person, please contact the police because we have concerns about her because she might be vulnerable or mental health issues or anything like that. Mm. It was the case of, if you see this person, call this mobile number, which belonged to another sort of um, Facebook group. Mm. And um, my concern there is, and I speak for, with, with my homeless person's hat on here, mm. where I have um, experience of moving people in and out of refuges as a result of being in danger and homeless and unable to return back home because of dangers of, of honour-based violence and domestic abuse, that if unless the police are sharing this image, so whether it's Metropolitan Police, Thames Valley, three, three, uh, whatever you know, whatever constabulary it is that's managing it, oh. we should be sharing those images because for all we know, that woman should could could be actually fleeing serious um, crime and serious. Oh from her family or her partner mm. who knows what she's what she's escaping from mm. and why are we sharing these images um you know when they haven't actually been shared by the police right it's not images they are, that are shared by the police okay mm. and reason to believe this person is a danger to themselves or to others fine happy to share it mm. but it's a woman who you can tell who's articulate and educated, and it doesn't point you back to contacting the police, it points back to, to phoning some random mobile number, we could be endangering that person even more. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I can talk about this um, subject for ages. We've actually, you know, into 30 minutes as it, as, as it is. But what I 
the last thing I really wanted to ask was about the homelessness. Um, you know, are there enough refuges available for women, um, regardless whether they're Asian or not, fleeing abusive relationships? Are there enough places for them to go? So the answer to that is probably no. <laughs> um, and, and I think that is the reason why we have um, the domestic violence bill being altered. Um, what I would say is two things, that um, as far as the Asian community are concerned, um, there are specific specialist Asian women's refuges um, that specialise in uh, women who want to be surrounded by people from their own culture. They wow. could be, they, you know, they, the victims could be people who have no recourse to public funds and are, are from the Asian subcontinent with dependent visas. So they, these sort of Asian women's refuges are specialists in helping women like that or men like that. So mm -hmm. it is useful to go into a refuge like that. Right. You know, if it's um, a woman who was born in this country, she might not want to go anywhere near an Asian women's refuge and would prefer to be in a mixed environment. Yeah. So um, what I would say is if you are not getting um, a refuge space, then you should absolutely contact your local authority and mm -hmm. speak to their this department so that they can assess you for eligibility to go into emergency accommodation if you mm -hmm. are in danger yeah. and no violence. Yeah, because I mean, I know that's something that I'm looking to do, because I remember I had this property it was a few years back, actually, and I had some really troublesome tenants, you know, and I thought, I've had enough, you know, so I actually contacted a, um, a refuge and said, oh, well, look, I've got this property, are you interested, you know, to house women fleeing? And um, they said, well, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so... <laughs> I mean, maybe the homeless caseworker, I would be prouncing on, on that and saying, yes, I've got lots of people. I thought, you know, so I mean, that was a few years ago. I mean, and, you know, that thought has now come back to me again because I talk about it, I've written about it, and I'll, I'll talk to anybody that will listen, you know, in terms of um, creating this awareness and, and educating them. Um, and that's, uh, for me personally, that's a new I want to go down to. Um, acquire a property and um, you know for specifically for women fleeing domestic abuse but you know obviously you know I've got to research XYZ so maybe we can have a conversation Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What I would say to that also is for anyone who is watching and they are landlords who are interested in um, doing the type of work that you want to do where they're specifically looking to pay it forward and use their resources to be able to kind of house someone who is vulnerable as a result of domestic abuse, mm -hmm. please remember that, you know, um, domestic abuse makes up 40% of homeless families. Um, so that's a very, very large proportion of, um, of individuals who are homeless as a result of domestic abuse. Talk to your local authorities. People can be vetted before they were put into your properties. And, and all local authorities, you know, will more than happily welcome landlords um, for, for, to, for with their properties. And I'd like to provide you with the support as well. So, you know, it is most definitely something that most local authorities would, would love to have from landlords. Right. Oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> that's good to know. So, I mean, that's it, really. Is there any last um, words that you might want to say to someone who may actually be watching, who may think that they're, you know, in an abusive relationship? Is there anything that you can say to them? Um, so speak out um, and absolutely um, do not suffer in silence. Mm -hmm. um, one bit of nugget of information that I would like to share, which is specific, specifically related to the things that we spoke about earlier, honour-based mm -hmm. violence um, and forced marriages. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, a, a wonderful number of charities in the UK, such as Southall Black Sisters, Karma Nirvana, um, and various other ones who, who work on those sort of cases. Um, but if you are, if you feel that you're going to be taken to another country um, for abuse to get worse or for you to be forcefully married to somebody who, who um, you know, against your will, there is what I call the teaspoon trick, which is where you basically add a teaspoon into your clothing, a small teaspoon. So when you go through the airport security checks, it will, it will trigger the alarms. And the airport staff are trained to recognise that as being a distress call. So that's your opportunity to actually say, look, I need to speak to someone in, in private. They will then um, sort of take you away on the, on the pretense of, of a frisk search. Mm. Um, and that's your opportunity to say, please help me. I'm suffering with abuse and I'm really scared of going abroad with this family. Right, right. OK. Oh, thank you very much for that. I didn't know about that. Um, so yes, I mean you can put the details and everything uh, if, you, if anyone needs to contact you um, in the comments part um, below. Um, Seem, I just want to say thank you so much um, for sharing your information um, with us. And I hope that you know, well, I know that it will help somebody out there that may be suffering from um, domestic abuse. Um, okay, we'll talk anyway. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Cheers. Thanks for that. Take care. Thank you, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Hi. Okay, so that was the lovely Seema, um, such an informative um, interview that I had with her. So I just wanted to um, <clears throat> repeat that if anyone is going through um, domestic abuse, please do not suffer alone. Please do contact um, the National um, Domestic Abuse Helpline.